0: Good morning. Good morning. Again, I felt like that was a great warm up for me, you know, so got all the jitters out. So, all right. Here we go. I am going to attempt today to share my heart with you um, about just um, a process I've been going through with the Lord over the last nine, even ten months. And I was given ten minutes to give you the highlights. <laughs> I'm wondering if you can relate. When I say that there is a change in the air. I've been sensing for a while now that there is a shift happening in the body of Christ. And I know that I've personally been very aware of it. For me, it started a little bit as a stirring. But I know that's not how it always starts. Sometimes it's a loss or a tragedy that shifts things. Sometimes you're sending your baby off to college. And all of a sudden, you know, the next chapter begins. But for me, in this season that I've been, it was really just a stirring. And I just started having a quiet conversation with Holy Spirit about it and what his ideas might be for what this next season and what it's going to look like. So today, I want to talk to you about moving from season to season, moving from glory to glory, even the idea of moving from provision to provision. Because all of us are somewhere on this pendulum. We're either coming out of transition, we're in transition, or we're moving to the next transition. It's just the way God designed it, you know? Um, there's just. Um, There's just something in us, the way we've been wired by our Heavenly Father, is to not stay still, and we can't stay stagnant, you know? We have to stir the waters. We have to fan the flames. We have to increase. We have to enlarge our territories. We have to hunger for more. That's how we've been designed. Acts 17, 28 says, It's in him that we live and we move and we have our being. When we abide in Jesus, there's just this awakening that happens inside of us. Change and transition and transformation, it's just part of our Christ-following life. Earlier this year, when this idea of a change was coming, when it was kind of that bitty baby idea inside of me, I was walking through the sanctuary and a painting captured my eye. And I knew the artist, it was Gareth Smith. It's this one right here and we put it up. But I reached out to Gareth right away um, because it just spoke to me. And I said, what is the prophetic meaning behind this artwork? This is what Gareth said. He said it's called winds of change. He said it meant to him that this season is about a lot of change. That's why you see the birds flying in the air. It means season changing. The wind is stirring everything, and the girl is actually holding flower petals in her hands, and the petals are just blowing in the wind out of her hands. I couldn't help but right away go directly to a scripture that I had been meditating on, and that's Song of Songs. It's one of my favorites. Um, Chapter 2, verse 13. It says, can you not discern this new day of destiny breaking forth around you? The early signs of my purposes and plans are bursting forth. The budding vines of new life are now blooming everywhere. The the fragrance of their flowers whisper, there is a change in the air. Arise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to the higher place. Do you hear the invitation in there for us to run with him to the higher place? For now is the time to arise and come away with me. Don't you just love how God uses different things in our lives to confirm what he's already speaking to us? He used artwork. He uses the word of God. But he's such a confirming God because he wants to get to our hearts. He wants us to be in sync with him all the way. So in just his kindness and and his love, he just continues to confirm things. So when we give Jesus our yes and when we yield our hearts to his idea of the next season. How do we walk through it? Because it often can be really messy. It's almost always uncomfortable. And you're usually stepping into a pretty unfamiliar territory. As the seasons have shifted and they've changed for me over the years, what I have learned is that he's most concerned about the process. He doesn't unfold it all at once. Because he wants us to journey with him along the way. He is our true north. He is the destination. We can't forget that. So once we have yielded our hearts to him, that's when the real journey begins. So I just want to share with you today just some keys that I have learned over the years and especially over the last few months is I have been really intentional in this season knowing that I'm in transition, knowing that he's got something next. Um, I've been really um, attentive to Holy Spirit to just pay attention to what he's teaching me. So the first thing is gratitude. Thankfulness and the heart of thankfulness, we just can't discount that along the way and in, in our journey. Um, positioning our, our hearts and cultivating gratefulness, it helps um, the season to season change and not feel like a burden. It actually helps us embrace what he has next for us. Um, I have an example from my life. Many, many, many years ago when my husband and I were um, just wanting to start a family, Um, I was praying a lot. It was quite a long season awaiting for us. And I was asking the Lord. Oftentimes, it came across that I was begging the Lord for a family because that's kind of the desperation that we were in in that season of our lives. And um, we have a couple adoption stories, if you don't know that about me. I am um, so passionate about transformation, and I'm equally as passionate about adoption. Um, so that's why I used adoption as one of my examples today. But as I was just praying and asking the Lord one day of how and when we were going to grow our family and just trying to figure it all out, I felt something switch inside of me and Holy Spirit whisper to me and say, stop asking and start thanking me. And that changed everything. All of a sudden, um, my prayer life shifted to looking more like this, Thank you, God, for what you're about to do. Thank you, God, for my family. Thank, that you, thank you that you already have picked out the children that are perfect for Sam and I. Thank you, God, for breakthrough. And can I just tell you that nine months later, we, adopt, we adopted our son, Max. Gratefulness was the gateway to unlocking breakthrough in that situation. <laughs> The second thing that I want to share with you, and really this is the most important, is lock eyes with Jesus. (laughs) I loved what Jonah was singing this morning, and I will not sing it for you, but I will say it. (laughs) Everything else has to go because you're my portion, you have my heart. That's what God's looking for. He's looking to connect with us. He wants us to lock eyes with him during the process because that's what's most important. Matthew 6.33 says, But first and most importantly, seek, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. I love the message translation of this because it says, steep your life in God reality. (laughs) God initiative and God provisions. Steep. Isn't that so good? Steep your life because the solution is Jesus. (laughs) When we lean into him, he unfolds the rest. There's no striving on our part at all. All we're required to do is fix our eyes on him, to continue to gaze upon him, because that's how we can stay focused while we're in that process. Again, he's concerned about our heart, and he's concerned about connecting with us. Third thing I want to share. Meditate on your prophetic words. (laughs) My prophetic words have become so life-giving to me so incredibly life-giving to me. I feel like I've really learned this the most even in the last six to nine months. Um, If you don't have your prophetic words written down, I urge you to please write your prophetic words down. Record them on your phone. Record them for somebody else. If you hear somebody else getting a prophetic word, throw your phone out. There's something about the culture um, that you can establish, that we can establish here as a church, but you can establish in your own life when you start the discipline of reading and hearing what God has to say about you through your prophetic words I've also noticed and I guarantee this will happen for you but as you start stewarding those words over your life you will be, you will become a magnet for more prophetic words as soon as you start stewarding and reading and getting them deep so that you it's actually changes your belief system as to who God says you are I promise you you will become a magnet for more prophetic words. People will seek you out. They will find you to give you a prophetic word. Last thing I want to talk about is active waiting. (laughs) Because the in-between, the season from, you know, that starts here and maybe ends here, that in-between part is where all the tension lies. (laughs) That's the hard part, you know? So active waiting um, has so much purpose. It actually refines our focus. It helps us cut out the distractions and focus on what's most important, which is Jesus. The message translation in Isaiah forty thirty one says, those who wait upon God will get fresh strength. We actually get spiritually stronger in that season of waiting. It actually builds our spiritual muscles. I have to admit to you that I don't understand at all the last-minute nature of God. Because quite often, um, I know in my own life, he comes through at the last minute. That in-between seems so long, and then all of a sudden you can celebrate and say, God, thank you for moving that mountain for me. Another adoption example, because I love sharing adoption stories, um, A couple years after our son was born, we were ready. We were ready to have another child. And um, a season of waiting began for us yet again. And at the beginning of 2011... I felt the Lord give me a really strong word um, that something big was going to happen in October. So my husband and I really leaned into that, and um, we began just um, praying and having this expectation of what God was going to do for us in October of 2011. Well, October came, and we were still waiting. Nothing had shifted. Nothing had changed for us. We were still very much so in that season of waiting and as my husband Sam and I were driving home um, with Max in the back seat sleeping um, on October 16th, this wave of disappointment came over me that it hadn't happened. Nothing had happened yet. And I started to just even grieve, like, and wonder did I not hear the voice of God? I was so certain that He said October. So we went home, and th- only three short days later, we got a phone call from our adoption agency that they had a match. So it didn't take us long to say yes. 24 hours later, we were yes, and we were all in, and what, we could, what could we do? And the mom, the birth mom, was already 36 weeks along. So, of course, she started to rationalize, God, that's it. We're supposed to get a phone call in October. You know, the baby can have a November birthday. That's totally fine. So um, that was the 19th, because that was three days later. Just a couple days after that, her water broke, and she went into labor. So on October 22nd we met our baby girl. I mean, talk about God coming through in the last moment. The beautiful part about this story is you typically stay in a different state for an interstate adoption, and um, the paperwork, everything was completely expedited for us. It, it honestly, it can take weeks. It took less than a week for us. We were driving home and we were in our driveway with our baby girl, Charlotte who's watching right now, um, on October 30th. God is just so good. He's so good, you know? Two short weeks later, we're in our driveway with our baby girl. I just get overwhelmed by the goodness of God when I remind myself and testify even to myself of the things that he's done in our lives. So today, I just wanted to encourage you. I just wanted to breathe life into those places, into those seasons, and into those shifts that are currently happening right now with all of us. I want to remind you to be thankful and to enjoy where you're at right now, the season that you're in. But then also embrace um, and get excited for what God has next for us, too. And just remember that God's just looking for your yes, And we just need to lean into him. He wants a a yielded heart because what he's most concerned about is transformation. So, thank you.
1: Let's give it up for Jen Costello. 14 minutes and 40 seconds. Good job. (laughs) So good. Wow, that was a tearjerker there. 14 minutes and 40 seconds, but who's counting? (laughs) All right, next, let's give it up for Megan Perkins.
2: Hey, guys. What's up? I can't believe I had to follow Jen. It was the one person I was nervous about following. She's not looking, so she can't see my wink at her. First rule of speaking, don't clear your uh, throat in the mic, just so you know. (laughs) Thanks for laughing. That was good. All right. (laughs) So the first thing I want to say is thank you to you guys, to all of you. Um, (laughs) Thank you for being hungry, um, like fiery lovers of Jesus, because God has used all of you to change my life. Um, I'm not the same person I was when I started going here a couple of years ago. So thank you for everything, just for loving me and for being amazing people. Um, So I'm going to share some things today about my story. Um, I just want to be really clear about something. I'm not saying this to get any pity or sympathy. I don't want you focused on feeling emotions for me. I really want you focused on how good Jesus is. Focus on what he's saying to us right now through this story. He's always speaking, so we're going to lean into his love. A couple of months ago, um, I spent... Hey, Kelly. My friend Kelly is coming in right now. She's my buddy. Sorry, I just said hi to her from the mic. Man, you guys are never going to let me speak again. A couple of months ago, (laughs) I spent the weekend at a conference uh, here in town. My good friend's husband came into town... Uh, to visit for the conference. We got to hang out and catch up on their life. I hadn't seen him in person in months. And um, we hung out. I uh, I hugged him goodbye that Saturday when he left. And he went to another friend's house up in Delaware to stay all night and go to church the next day. So so that that Sunday morning, I'm getting ready for church, and my phone pings, and immediately I know something's not right. And um, the text message said my friend was unresponsive, and I had to get up to Delaware where he was staying. So I thought he was in a coma or something, and I quickly headed up. Um, I spent that 30-minute drive doing what what every Jesus lover does in times of catastrophe. You start thinking of all the things good about God's character so you can focus on Jesus. Um, in those moments, I did not give grief a moment of my time because grief doesn't deserve it. So when I got to where my friend was, I found out he was already dead. And I actually thought to myself, it's okay. I go to Zion. This is what I've been training for. (laughs) You know, (laughs) resurrection was the only plan at that point. So I'm not going to go into all the details, but we were able to lay hands on my friend and command his spirit back into his body. We told him to live in the name of Jesus. We did everything we felt like God was telling us to do in those moments. And um, another one of my friends prayed, was praying over him, and then when she was done, I, I, he, he didn't sit up yet, and I went to reach for him again to lay hands on his body and pray for him, and I felt God give me a firm no. So I stepped back, and the coroner transport guy took my friend to the morgue in a body bag. And my body went numb, and I was silent for a second, and I felt the Lord say to me, Do you trust me? So in moments like that, we have a choice to make. Not once that morning was there any doubt in my mind that my friend was going to come back. There was no plan B. The only plan was Jesus. Until he didn't wake up. And until he didn't come back. And we had to face a future without a friend and mentor in it. And I had to watch his wife, who over the past three years has become a really good friend of mine, face life as a 32-year-old widow. So why am I telling you this? Because you need to see somebody in front of you that recently questioned her faith and still loves Jesus. Because you need to see someone who, who trauma stretched to the limit emotionally, and she didn't give up on Jesus. Because you need to see somebody who took a big risk, and it didn't work out, but she still believes in raising the dead. We are poster children for risk, not failure, every time. I'd do it again. Guys, I would do that a thousand times over, even with the same result. Because we raise the dead, and that's the truth, and it doesn't change. Raising the dead's not my idea, it's not your idea, it's God's idea, and it's modeled by Jesus. Every single person being healed, whole, and complete is the rule, not the exception. Every time, because Jesus died for it. Circumstances do not and will not change my love for Jesus, because my stupid decisions never once changed his love for me. What God says about us absolutely does not change regardless of our experiences ever. With that being said, guys, it's okay to be in process. It's okay to believe you are healed and whole while seeking more of Jesus so you can live a life healed and whole. It's okay to grieve. We just don't partner with grief because he's a punk and he'll tank our lives. In spite of the tears, In spite of the agony and in spite of the fact that I really miss my friend, I am more sure today that God is good and he loves his kids than before my friend passed away. Grieving happens, but Jesus is our only bridegroom, so we don't go get into into bed with other spirits but the Holy Spirit. We are married to Jesus. It's bridegroom language in the Bible. We honor our marriage covenant with him because we are faithful brides. Questions of why God? Did I do something wrong? Is this ever going to not hurt? They just don't matter when we look in the eyes of Jesus. Now those questions are pretty normal, but they come from doubt and unbelief anyway. And that's not heaven's perspective or part of the kingdom. I've asked them. Time does not heal all wounds. Jesus heals all wounds. We don't partner with disappointment because God is a God of monogamy and we don't cheat on him by partnering with other spirits. Uh, Believe me when I stand before you today and I tell you that Jesus heals everyone, and he raises the dead every time, and that's the standard, and it doesn't change. I am not saying that from a bubble of fantasy and fake Christianity. I have lived it. I've experienced loss, a lot of it, but a thousand percent God is good. The awfulness we've experienced does not change the fact that we are chosen daughters and chosen sons purposed for greatness, filled with the love and power of an amazing God who walks us through storms. What's true in our lives is what heaven says about us, period. We have to choose to stop arguing with God. We also have to stop having conversations with devils and believing their lies. Listen, if heaven wouldn't say it about you, stop believing it. If heaven wouldn't say it about you, stop believing it right now. We're done with that crap. It's going to tank us. And we're in a season, guys, where God is preparing us for a great, amazing move of glory in this city. And it can happen through us. we got to take this time to really cultivate intimacy and cultivate strength. And we can't let circumstances tank us. It's okay to grieve. I'm still grieving. This happened a few months ago. My friend was 37. He shouldn't have died. But we have to commit to Jesus and keep going through that process with him and not hate the process. We have to stay hungry and in covenant with Jesus in a way that keeps us looking at everything from heaven's perspective. It's not what would Jesus do, it's what is heaven saying. The most important thing for all of us right now is to let go of everything that we value and hold dear, like our reputation or how we look to others so that Jesus can use us as he determines. Your life is not your own anymore. You don't own you anymore. You were bought with a price, and it was a high price. And before the foundation of the earth... The Lord had a plan to pay for you. So your life is not your own. And when it comes to things like raising the dead and healing the sick, failure is an option, not a goal. But we don't care if we fail because we view failure from heaven's perspective, valuing obedience more than results. We're in training so that when hard times or even a catastrophe comes, We may grieve, but we don't make friends with grief or disappointment. Grief is not your friend. Disappointment did not die on the cross for you. Jesus did. So another little side note on this is, people in pain tend to only see their pain. If we're not careful, pain can blind us and become disappointment which leads to unhealthy self-focus that others don't always want to be around. Partnership with grief and disappointment breeds dysfunction. Ask me how I know. <laughs> All right, so the invitation here is to let Jesus heal our hearts and minds so that we can minister to the city from a healed place and we learn to take more bold healthy risk with Jesus. So stand up. I didn't ask, I just told you to, so, you know, they gave me the mic, so, you know. All right, so what we're going to do is, I'm going to pray something, and you're going to repeat it, and we're kind of going to kind of go back and forth, because no one has the authority over you, wait, no one has the authority in your life over you to give, you give Jesus authority, nobody else does. Yay, I'm so good with words, you guys, I'm so good with words. All right. Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you died so that I can be free of things like pride, disappointment, and grief. I repent, Lord. Change my heart so that I never do those things again. Teach me to walk in the holiness you paid for, Jesus. Show me who I am. I give you permission permission to do anything anything in my life life that you need to. to. Okay, like two or three of you didn't say that. I give you permission, permission, Jesus, to do anything anything in my life life that you need to. to. I'm I'm yours, Jesus, and I love you.
1: Thanks, guys. You guys getting blessed? Isn't this good? Yes. All right. Without further ado, our tallest speaker, Ty Kramer.
3: Good morning. Is this on? Is it on now? Much of what I'll say today will be descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive. That is, it will be my somewhat subjective experiences with God, and your experiences with him may look a little bit different. But what God has given me to say is really pretty basic, so review for many people uh, in the room, and but that's okay. I can guarantee that what I have to say may not land on everybody in this room, and that's also okay, because that's where I'm at right now with God. But my desire is for, particularly if you're new to Zion, if you're watching live stream or listening by podcast, that Holy Spirit will He'll highlight a particular story or a sentence or a phrase, and you'll encounter God more deeply today than you did yesterday and more deeply tomorrow than you did today. My name's Ty Kramer, and I'm, I'm really just a typical one of people from Zion here, but God has really fundamentally changed something inside of me and god has graciously been giving me more encounters with himself i've consistently been having experiences that have increased in frequency and intensity and you might ask well when when did they start and how did they start and my wife ruth ann and i have uh, we've been coming here design for about five years now and 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 we've grown we we've soaked we've gone through cssm we've had sozos we've had supernatural experiences and encounters with God. However, this has really been different at a quantum level. It all started really on an unassuming Sunday morning in September 2018. And many of you know that our son Zach is on the spectrum for autism. You you might see us sitting out in the lobby before and, and during services, and this has done a few things. One, we contend for Zach's healing and for his progress every single day, no matter what it might look like. Uh, two, I'm always on as a parent. If you ever seen Zach in the baptismal, you know you know that's a full-time job, and uh, uh, with that, uh, there are not very, very few minutes that I have off. Number three, I've taken on the lobby ministry. That is, I pray for and intercede for, really, for you as you're coming in, as you're coming in to see God and to meet God and for what God is, is doing that day as, as we're coming to meet together. And number four, I've built up uh, worship muscles and learning to praise Jesus while being on the other side of that door. And well, that Sunday in September, our dear friend Tien, she's not here today, she took Zach and worked with him, allowing me to uh, be freed up to come into the big room. And I was on the right-hand side standing right over here in the aisle feeling good and feeling God's presence, but you know, that was about it. Some days are kind of like that. Then there was this intersecting thought, and I love intersecting thoughts, and I remembered an article I had read recently. It was an interview with the actor Brian Cranston uh, from Breaking Bad, the dad of Malcolm in the Middle. In the interview, he said he used to go to auditions and projects looking and hoping to get something. The part, the role, the money, And he said he was having moderate success, but he felt like he was stuck in junior varsity, never quite getting over the hump. Then a mentor challenged him, and he challenged him to let go of the outcome, to change his orientation, to take his eyes off of what he would get out of it, and go to give a performance worthy of the audience. Slide one. Brian said, suddenly I was going to auditions and readings to give a performance, to give of myself, regardless Of the outcome, and regardless of how I even felt, I didn't go to get something, I went to give something. And his life and his career changed in the process. And in that moment, as Holy Spirit brought that to me, I understood, Lord, I am not here to get something from you, I'm here to give you something. You are my worthy audience. And I started to say, You are good, Lord, you are good, you are worthy. Of worship, you are worthy of my worship, you're worthy of all worship, you're worthy of everything, more, more, more. And something changed inside of me. And this started me having these more powerful encounters with Jesus week by week and now month by month, particularly uh, when I'm by myself and with the larger body. After one of these really intense, crazy encounters and praise and worship, I don't even know what I did a wisp, a molecule of a thought crossed my mind. And maybe you've had this happen to you. The thought was this, what did I just do? And in those milliseconds, I had a choice to make between embarrassment, which can be a form of pride, or embracement, embracing what God just did, which is humility. It's pride to not allow God to flow through us or not to believe what he has said about us and what he has said about himself. Slide two, please. This has led me to my working definition. Humility is accepting what God has said or done without embarrassment and without shame. Humility is accepting what God has said or done without embarrassment and without shame. If you have an encounter with God, if you're encountering, Him in laughter, in weeping, shouting, dancing, shaking uncontrollably. If you have an open vision, if God takes you to heaven, if he gives you a word to give to somebody that sounds completely whack, do it, own it. If you're in ministry and God speaks to you to ask somebody for a specific sum of money and you know it's God, look the person in the eye and ask that number. If God puts a project on your heart or he gives you words to write, Don't apologize, don't self-deprecate. He loves the flavor of our personalities and he loves creating with us. Most of us have been told for too long, don't be arrogant, don't be prideful, that's self-promotion to the point many of us have been paralyzed and we do nothing. And it's not about you, it's not about me and that's the point, slide three. Humility is accepting, believing and acting on God's belief And by this act, he empowers us to do it. Humility is accepting, believing, and acting on God's belief. And by this act, he empowers us to do it. This is the Father's heart. And Jim Baker has been saying this. We don't have to convince him. He's been trying to convince us all along. In John 17 and Romans 12, he tells us the truth. We are one with him. We are connected to him. We are empowered in him. Many of us were falsely taught to to be spiritual. We are to be small and mealy-mouthed and and humble. And what utter nonsense to be less than what the Father has given for us to be? Particularly by choice is the ultimate form of arrogance and pride. He wants us to live large in Him. Large joy, large love, large experiences. Remaining in my personality and in your personality is highly overrated. (laughs) For instance in late October 2018 someone was again with Zach and I was in the river in the front praising and happy and Holy Spirit spoke to me and said you remember how you used to think and when Holy Spirit asked me a question like that no context is needed I knew exactly what he was talking about when I was a kid my family situation was a little rough a lot of anger alcohol and everything that goes along with that and um Well, when I was 11, my dad uh, dramatically became a Christian. My dad was the son of a pilgrim of holiness preacher. Anybody here familiar with the holiness movement? A lot of hellfire, brimstone, heavy on the externals, not a lot of grace, not a lot of relationship with Jesus. Well, this is my dad's story, and I don't want to dishonor him in, in any way, but he rebelled against that message, and he lived a hard life. And 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 we, we we lived a hard life, but God had other plans. When I was 11, one morning, my dad met, my dad met Jesus in bed while still in his bed clothes. He had an open vision of Jesus walking was walking up the hill where Jesus was hanging on the cross, and the blood of Jesus washed over my dad, and washed away all of his sins. The all-encompassing all of God's forgiveness washed over him, past, present, and future. All of my dad's sins were washed away and forgiven in that moment. Wow, wow, wow. I mean, talk about getting saved. (laughs) My dad was weeping when he told us what happened to him. He told us he was going to follow Jesus and we were going to go as a family together to church. And, well, I had never seen my dad cry ever. I mean, so, you know, this was new. After that, we started to attend a small evangelical church in our little town. And at that time, in the late 1970s, God was moving in evangelical, Catholic, and mainline churches in the charismatic movement. And our pastor preached Jesus. And, oh, every time I heard Jesus preached, he sounded so good. I, I was drawn to Jesus in my heart burned inside of me and every he, Jesus just was so good he sounded so so good and one sunday during the altar call in, in our tradition the altar call was at the end of a service you were invited to come forward to become a christian to meet jesus to get saved and during that time i was under such there was such a heavy presence of god and i had such a burning inside but i was stuck between my siblings in the back row in the, in, the, in the seats in the pew and i couldn't get out and I literally fell back in my, in my seat under the presence of God. I was slain in the Spirit in this evangelical church that didn't believe in being slain in the Spirit. Well, the next Sunday, I, um, I was ready. I positioned myself, made sure that I sat on the end of the pew. And when that invitation was given, I ran. I ran from the back of the church to the front to meet Jesus, and Jesus met me there. And I was still a messed up kid, but I knew I'd I'd met Jesus, and I knew that I loved him with all of my heart, and I knew that he had spoken to me. But in those times, there was plenty of religion and bad teaching. Everyone was preaching and teaching about the end times and the tribulation and the rapture. I heard over and over and over about the foolish virgins and the wise virgins and the unworthy servant and how Jesus would judge us as sheep and goats on his right hand and on his left and saying, depart from me, I never knew you. Well, somehow I got the idea that even though I believed Jesus, even though I believed in Jesus, even though I loved him with all of my heart, that when I stood before him, he would say to me, you thought you loved me, but you really didn't. Depart from me, I never knew you. And I would go to hell loving Jesus with all of my heart, confused, not understanding how I didn't love him right. And this is what Holy Spirit Holy Spirit was referring to when he asked me the question, do you remember how you used to think? And I said, yes. And he said, you want to know what's really in your heart? And I said, yes. And then suddenly I started to worship Jesus. I could not help it. I was overcome and I started saying and shouting loudly, Jesus, I love you. I love you so much. You are so good. You are so good. I love you so much, Jesus. You are so good, Jesus. I love you. I love you. I love you over and over and over for over an hour. Tears streaming down my face. I was on my knees and on my face telling him how much that I loved him. How good that he is how much i adored him how wonderful he is and at the end of this encounter and at the end of the worship i'm sitting over here in the in the front row spin i'm drenched in sweat and the holy spirit spoke to me again and he said that's what's in your heart <laughs> and something inside of me broke and something inside of me broke open And my friends, what I've received from Jesus, I'm going to pass on to you right now. If you want to receive something from God, please stand up. Put your heart in a humble position and remember the the definition of humility. Accept what God says or does without embarrassment and without shame. Are you ready? Jesus, I love you so much. Jesus, I love you so much. I love you. You are so good. You are so good. You are so good. We love you so much. Jesus, your bride loves you so much. Your bride loves you so much. Your bride adores you. Your bride adores you. Your bride loves you, Jesus. We love you so much. Jesus, we love you so much. You are so good. Thank you. Thank you. Your bride loves you. Your bride adores you, Jesus. Thank you.
1: Oh, man, I'm not sure I can take much more. (laughs) Our final speaker, let's give it up for Ryan Hand, the hand of God. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.
4: Thank you. Wow. That was amazing. You know, it shouldn't surprise me um, how amazing he is, but we didn't compare notes. We were all on an email together, and we didn't know what anyone was going to talk about. And forgive me if I repeat everything that they just said, (laughs) but this is what um, God's put on my heart. It started with a stirring, you know, close to a year ago, Um, and I've just watched over my life and my experiences how we have allowed life to speak louder than Him, how we've allowed circumstances that we go through and things that we experience, define us, and we partner with those things. And what it does, and we don't realize it, but when we live out of that place, it literally stifles us from experiencing what he has for us. We can't walk in what he has for us if we're identifying with something that he didn't have for us. It was just temporal. It was here on this earth. So let me start by saying, you guys are so much more than the sum ...of your past experiences. Your circumstances don't define you. He does. He's the only thing that defines you. His word about you, like Megan was saying, that's the truth. We can partner with the truth and what he says about us... ...no matter what we're going through, no matter what the facts are in this world. See, we go through, we all go through this stuff, okay? And they are facts in this temporal life, but it's temporal. It's not eternal. God's outside of time. So when he speaks something over you, it's true whether you're experiencing it right now or not. You have the decision to make whether you want to partner with what you're going through or you want to partner with what he says about you. And like Ty was saying, you know, it's not humility to think of yourself as lowly okay, that's called unbelief, (laughs) because he didn't say that about you. It's not arrogant to partner with what he said. We're sons, we're daughters in his kingdom, and that matters so much more than what we're going through. You know, I was speaking this way to someone, they were just about a month ago, they were going through a really tough time, and they were listening to me share, and I saw tears in their eyes, and they said, you know, I listen to you and I don't understand what am I doing wrong? And I said, it's not what you're doing wrong. It's what you're believing. Because they're partnering with that thing they're going through as if they pull their identity from that. And it's robbing them of what Jesus paid for. See, right believing changes everything. Everything. Believing what he said over the facts of this earth. So, I haven't always lived this way, (laughs) okay? I've come here for a lot of years, I think since 2003. But it wasn't until 2011 that God, he got a hold of me. There was a switch that flipped, and it was right after I had a so-so with that wonderful woman down there. But he showed me that I was so much more than the sum of my circumstances. He showed me that I was a son. And now when I pray, it doesn't look like how I used to pray. I start every day, and I set the tone for the day by speaking the truth over in my life, the truth about what the Bible says about me and my identity. It sounds something like this. Thank you, God, for making me a son. Thank you for sending the gift of your son, Jesus, to die for me and to reconcile me back unto you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, for becoming sin, so that I might be the righteousness of God, holy blameless and above reproach. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for infusing your life into mine and making me new, making me to look like you. I thank you, Jesus, that what's true of you is true of me. I'm healthy because you're healthy. I'm wealthy because you're wealthy. I'm wise because you're wise. And I'm love because you're love. See, I can't say that every morning and believe that And it not changed my life. I go into any circumstance. It doesn't matter what it looks like. And I have this joy because I have the answer. He lives in me. I don't have problems. I have answers. I don't look like the people that I work with. They don't understand it when I'm there. And everyone's stressed out and their lives are broken because they're looking at their circumstances. And I'm looking at who lives inside of me. Guys, everyone goes through bad times, okay? But we don't have to identify with them. Jesus never changed no matter what he was going through. And he went through everything worse than what we've gone through. Everything. He experienced it 10 times worse than whatever we face. But he never changed because what he was going through didn't define him. His father defined him. Love defined him. Jesus is love. He lives in us, so we're love. So that's what defines us. So I stand before you guys today. I don't look like a child who was molested repeatedly. I don't look like my parents divorced when I was four. They were both married five times apiece. By the time I was 18, I had lived in 17 different places. I don't look like my mom died when I was 12 of AIDS. Got it from one of my stepdads. I don't look like I lost my oldest brother and my father at the age of 32 within a year of each other. My oldest brother was actually a father figure in my life. I lived with him for three years. He had sole custody of me because I was such a troubled youth. My dad didn't know what to do with me. Those lives were snuffed out, but that didn't define me because he made me new. That's not my story. That's not my identity. You know, my wife and I, we went through something that I hope no one ever has to go through. Those of you who know me really well, you know, you guys know this story. And, but those of you who don't, my wife and I, six years ago this month uh, was the anniversary. We lost our two-year-old son in an accident at our home. It was, uh, it was the worst day of my life, honestly. But, you know, things happened in that time. There was, there was decisions made. What happened here was beautiful corporately. We went after it for seven days for him to be raised from the dead. It was amazing. I partnered with you guys. You partnered with me. We cried together. We laughed together. It was, it was incredible. I'll never forget it. But for five days, Trace was here. And 24-7, there was worship music, prayer going on to see him raised from the dead. And one of those days I had come in during the day, and I think uh, some of the people who were here just gave me some time alone. And I was standing in here praying over Trace, and there was worship music being played. And a song came on by Brian and Katie Torwalt called I Breathe You in God. And it's one of my favorite songs, but in that song, It says, when I don't understand, I choose you. When I don't understand, I choose you, God. When I don't understand, I choose to love you, God. And so with tears running down my face and my hands lifted to heaven, I stood over his lifeless body and I made a decision that, God, this isn't you, that you're good. And I choose you. And something happened inside of me. There was a switch that flipped. And I got a peace that surpasses all understanding. I got a peace that doesn't make sense. I got a peace that the world says I shouldn't have. I had people tell me I was in denial. I had people tell me, oh, it just hasn't hit you yet. But they didn't understand. They didn't walk what I walked. They didn't have the conversation that I had. And they didn't experience his presence the way I did. See, guys, I'm so much more than a father who lost a son. I am a son. I've been grafted in. I've been given the spirit of adoption. See, we're joint heirs with Christ. Everything in his kingdom we have access to. You know, I, I want to read this verse. It's uh, it's from the Passion Translation. It's amazing. And I don't know if you guys have read the Passion Translation. I know... Um, We've talked about it here. It just, it's like reading the Bible all over again. It's incredible. But 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17 says, Now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. And wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. See, when I gave my life to Jesus, the Bible says I made him Lord of my life. That word Lord there means master controller. So I allow him to control how I'm doing. When I speak this every morning, that dictates how I'm doing, not what I walk through, not the circumstances I go through. He dictates how we're doing, guys. We can't partner with the things that we're going through as if that defines us. We're different. We're called to something different. Like they're saying, he's going to do something with us, but we have to be different. We have to realize that he's the one. He's the only one that matters. He's the only one that needs to control us. God gave me this little nugget when I was sitting in my desk in my office. Um, Sorry, I better check the time and make sure I'm not going over. (laughs) So I'm sitting in my desk and... When you experience a tragic loss like that, sometimes you start thinking differently and you allow yourself to think differently. And my wife was getting ready to um, drive up north. She was going to take all the kids and they were going to go pick up a goat because we live out in the country and she loves animals. God bless her. So um, she was going to go get a goat and I'm sitting there at my desk and a thought came into my head and I, I had a decision to make. And the thought was, what if they don't make it home? What if all of them die? And you lose every one of them. And before, I used to think, you know, things are going good, so I wonder when the next tragedy is coming. But when that thought came into my head, I didn't respond how I used to respond. And I asked Holy Spirit about it. And I'm like, what's going on? Because something like that would break me. And he said, you're changing on the inside. He said, because of what you believe what you believe over your life. You're not responding the same way. So he told me, he said, don't believe the lie that you're honoring their life by letting it destroy yours. See, the world has this sick, twisted gauge, like the more broken you are, then that's the more you love them or something. Guys, I'm sorry, it's not the more you love them. That's a red flag to say that's how much you were pulling your identity out of that relationship. And you're so much more than that. It's not honoring them. I can only imagine what Trace is doing right now. And I know where he is. And when I get past my own selfish feelings about what I'm missing out of that relationship and what he did for me, I can actually rejoice and be excited about where he is. And realize that I'm on this temporal missions trip to earth. But I'm a citizen of heaven. On a missions trip here long term. Okay. I'm going to see him again one day. But that's not the, the goal of Christianity. The goal of Christianity is his life inside of me. Looking like this every day. No matter what's going on. So I can share that with others and affect them. And in my workplace Guys, I minister to people all the time. The cleaning guy just pulled me aside this week because he sees the fruit of my life. He sees how I am and how I respond to others, how I interact with people. That's what they're hungry for. But we can't give them what we don't have. We can't love out of an empty cup. We got to fill ourselves up with truth and what he says about us so we can love others the way he designed us to. All right, you guys are awesome. I love you. Thank you for the opportunity. Bless you guys.
1: Man, they said a lot in under 15 minutes, didn't they? Unreal. Well, thank you, God. We got a church full of powerful men and women.